Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker. And today we have the second part of our two-part interview with Jeremy Scott from the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC. And uh, if you missed last week's episode, you're definitely going to go check that one out first. Uh, we're talking about facial recognition technology and how its use has exploded across this country and really around the globe. Uh, but with Jeremy Scott today, we're going to focus on his expertise, which is the use of this technology by uh, uh, the U.S., mostly in governmental situations, uh, for surveillance and how that really affects our lives. And I, I meant to mention this actually in the first one, but we act differently when we're being watched, when we know we're being watched all the time. We'll talk about the concept of the panopticon and how when people uh, are watched, they basically self-censor. They, they curb their own behavior. They try to be boring. They try not to stand out. They try not to do anything that would draw attention uh, because they're worried that they're going to get noticed or it's going to be recorded or someone's going to um, come after for later. And, you know, with all the thing with the cameras today is all this video footage that's being taken is being stored and saved and potentially stored forever. So, you know, if, <laughs> if somebody wants to know what you did five years ago, uh, if they know where you were, they could potentially go and look through video feeds to see what you were up to. And, you know, and if once you, once people start realizing this, this is going on, it, you know, it has a chilling effect and it's, it actually impedes democracy. Uh, if you haven't already there, you should go check out Glenn Greenwald's Ted talk, on privacy. Uh, I'll, throw, I'll try to throw a, a, a link to it in the show notes. But if you just go to you know any search engine and search on Glenn Greenwald privacy TED Talk, you'll find it. It's only like 15 or 20 minutes long. But he does a really good job, very eloquent job of explaining why privacy is important. And it's not just because you have some, it's not that you have something to hide. We all need secrecy that, you know, as I like to say, there's reasons why we have bumper stickers that say, you know, dance like no one's watching you know, or why we sing in the car or in the shower. Uh, why there's doors on bathroom stalls. I and mean, it's not because we're up to nefarious things that we have a right to privacy. There's, we're human beings and we need places where we can be ourselves, say what we want to say, uh, do what we want to do without fear of reprisal. Um, and Glenn talks about this as well, I think. And, and that is, you know, democracy is changing. There are, there are things that used to be illegal that are no longer legal, like, you know, interracial marriage. Uh, gay rights, women voting, um, <laughs> they're, you know, we evolve. And a lot of times for society to evolve on those things, legalizing marijuana, um, we need space to experiment and to kind of, you know, fudge the boundaries a little bit. So anyway, uh, try to get off my soapbox and we'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave this to Jeremy. Uh, so without any further ado, let's, let's get back to the second part of our interview where we pick up where we left off last time, uh, with Jeremy Scott. <laughs> One of the things I always talk about with biometrics is, as identification and why it's it, it seems so tempting, but it has so many flaws is that you can't you can't change your biometrics. You can't. It's not like you can change a password or change a user ID. Your face is your face. Your fingerprint is your fingerprint. Your iris is your iris forever. So I know there's been incidents of this that have already happened, but what what happens when this biometric information that's sitting in a database somewhere is stolen? And can you know? Can that data then be used to impersonate me, or is, is it another form of identity theft? Well, I mean, you know, you know, part of what's scary about this is we don't fully understand what the implications are yeah. for your biometric information being stolen, right? I mean, it's clearly bad because, as you mentioned, you can't change it; it's an immutable 
characteristic. I guess you can if you pay a lot of money and get facial reconstruction, <laughs> right. but this is just not an option. Disfigure yourself, yeah. It's just not an option for generally for people. It's not like a passport where you just come up with a new right. uh, passport. And um, largely due to the fact that this is a newer technology, we're just at the beginning of its widespread implementation, which we're just, which also means we're kind of at the beginning of bad actors thinking about how to exploit <laughs> yeah. the data that's being breached. And as, you know, here, here's the, the, the funny part, as it gets greater, greater implementation on society, the risks are just going to go up yeah. more because then it becomes a bigger target for the bad actors. And, you know, at some point, you know, this information is going to be stolen. It's going to be used in a way um, that's going to be very compromising. So there, there was recently, a, a, essentially, I think, a, a academic or a researcher mm-hmm. who was probing uh, around, was able to gain access to a database that had a bunch of information, including biometric information, fingerprint, uh, facial images, etc. And this information was essentially from a company that uh, used it to control access to various buildings, you know, uh, for which they were being, um, that they contracted with, essentially. Mm. And so, for instance, you know, they might have been using a fingerprint to gain access to, you know, different parts of a particular building. It may have been, a, it may have been facial recognition. This person gained access and they realized they could change the data. <laughs> they could have either, uh, they could have either um, implemented uh, their own fingerprint and replace someone else's hmm. or facial image, or they could have just created a whole new profile for themselves. And they could have just given them access to any particular building. And that way, then they showed up and scanned their finger or presented their face, they would have gained access. To it. So it's like an example of what could occur by a bad actor uh, when this information gets breached and someone getting, gains access to these really large databases of biometric data facial images, fingerprints, et cetera, that's being used for security purposes to control access to um, to different areas. To- yeah. Yeah, I, I, think the, I think the recent one you were referring to was a CBP database. The Customs Border Protection Agency um, had a bunch of uh, faces and license plates stolen for U.S. travelers. And there was another one a few years back from the OMB, which Office of Management and Budget, I think, had a whole bunch of fingerprints uh, digitized fingerprint stolen. And, and sometimes when they do this, what they do with the fingerprint is they, they kind of hash it. They kind of, you know, distill the fingerprint down to a number and they store the number. But in this case, I think they actually stored the actual fingerprint. So whoever stole this actually got all these government workers fingerprints. And what I've read about since then is they haven't really shown up anywhere, which kind of implies that maybe it was a state actor, like let's say China or Russia who got in there and got all these fingerprints out and God only knows what they could do with those. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and the, these are people is information on people who have security clearances, right. Who probably, you know, in some part of their job for some of these people actually use their fingerprint to gain access to different parts of <laughs> right. a secure building potentially. Not to mention that, um, it included information on, you know, the background check information, which a lot of times contains very sensitive information, about not only the individual, but their family, their friends, et cetera. So the kind of exposure 
um, is, is, is multiplied by the fact that each person who had a background check is connected to a bunch of other people who are, whose information would have been included um, in that database. And it's, and it's scary to think about. And you know, here we are just kind of barreling down, moving forward with the use of something like facial recognition for identification purposes, for security access purposes, without really thinking about the implications mm-hmm. of the use of this information, particularly when it gets breached. Because what we see, you know, what we all kind of understand now is, is more like the information will be breached at some point than it won't. Right. So you mentioned there really aren't regulations around this stuff, but um, the other the other aspect to this for me is that I think that some of the some of the folks that are touting this technology are basically saying, well, in a, you know, in a public space, you have no expectation of privacy anyway. So you know, if you go out of your if you basically if you go out of your house and off your property and you're in a public space, well, then you should expect to be photographed and videoed and 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 not have anything to say about that. What's I'm sure Epic disagrees with that. <laughs> what what is what is your position on uh, on on the use of that without some sort of meaningful consent? I mean, there, you know, that you do have an expectation of privacy in public. Uh, you should never let anyone tell you you don't. But, you know, it's, it's obviously not the same as, you know, when you're on, in your own home. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you do in public, um, you necessarily expose to a certain degree to the public. So, you know, if you do something in public, someone happens to see you, so be it. You know, if, especially if you do something illegal and a police officer happens to see you, then, you know, that that's kind of like you're bad luck. You shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> um, in, in public. But that is that is one thing that is very different from the idea that everything right. I do in public is not only subject to viewing, but recording and analysis. And right. that's a very, very different beast than just thinking, you know, my actions in public may or may not be seen by someone at any time at one particular moment Right. versus all my actions will be collected, stored forever probably, right. and will be analyzed now and in the future by technologies I can't even think of to try to you know, pull various information out about me as a person or to analyze me in various ways. That's, that is not something you sign up for when you go outside, right? Or, You're just yeah. taking it too far using a very simple example to justify a very complex use of the idea that your, your privacy in public is lessened. And that's an yeah, that's an excellent point. And, I, and to me, it, it seems like it's a difference between uh, what you do as a human manually with regular old shoe leather detective work or policing versus mass surveillance and automation that doesn't require necessarily an individual human or a resource, which of course law enforcement loves, right? Cause it's a multi, it's a multiplier effect for them. They don't have, to, you know, they don't have to have as many cops or many FBI agents if they've got cameras everywhere, uh, because they could do a lot of the, that work for them. That takes less manpower. I, I get with why they would like that, but there was a case. And I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with this, there was a case I call recently where, uh, I think it was local law enforcement had put a GPS tracker 
uh, on somebody's car, and the argue and they and this went to court, and the and the argument they made was, well, we could have just tailed this car too. The guy's in public; he has no he has no expectation of not being followed or whatever by the cops. We could have followed him, but instead we put a GPS tracker on him. And the judge, I think, in that case, struck that down. Now, I don't know if it was if it was appealed. Are you familiar with that case? Have you have you heard of that one? I think about talking about USB Jones. Actually, went up to the Supreme Court, and the ruling was actually in favor of, of privacy, and then basically said right. you can't do that. That's you track them for nearly a month without a proper warrant. Isn't this kind of the same argument? Oh, yeah, it, it is a similar argument. There's just a lot more information you can tell about a person if you track them twenty four seven, and then on top of that, use. Uh, machine learning algorithms to analyze that information uh, you pick up by tracking them. Then you can then by a you know the old you know individual a person individual police officer following someone right right. Um, it basically you know mass surveillance basically allows law enforcement to treat everyone as a suspect. Right? <laughs> right. No kind of individual suspicion on any particular person. And just can do that, you know, after the fact when they crunch the data. So I know you look at other types of surveillance as well. Um, so what other types of uh, facial recognition or kind of video surveillance is, is being employed these days? Like, for instance, I've heard that there's a new set of drones that they're flying over the, the U.S.-Canada border um, with some sort of radar technology looking for cars coming and going. And, you know, drones and this kind of things and license plate readers. <laughs> uh, just give us a flavor of what other stuff is, is going on right now that looks sketchy. So, I mean, they do have drones that fly, you know, over the border. Most of them are used at the, um, the southern border, you know, the definition of border for Department of Homeland Security includes it going in something like 100 miles. Yeah. Yeah. It actually would capture several major U.S. cities. <laughs> right. constitutes about two-thirds of the population in the United States. So that's a little bit problematic. <laughs> um, there's, there's a massive use of license plate readers. There's a... There's a a company or two um, in the U.S. that have amassed like billions and billions of records of, of license plate, and it really kind of uh, demonstrates to to a certain degree where facial recognition can go without mm-hmm. any regulations, right? Because think about what they do with facial recognition; they basically just use these cameras and capture license plates all the time they they set up stationary license plate readers that are just kind of in a specific spot they basically pay tow truck folks and and repo folks to have uh, license plate readers in the cars they go around to do their work you know they get some extra money they mm. the license plate hit happens to be like a stolen car or something like that um you know there's they contract with law enforcement who get access to their big database while these law enforcement officers have license plate readers on their cars, right? Collecting mm-hmm. more and more license plate as they drive around through their job that feeds back into that database in which they're paying access for. So creating a much larger database for them to use, right? Now, currently, given the lack of regulation and, you know, kind of the gray area you're, we're in with the law, you could do the same thing with faces. <laughs> That's where it can be heading, where, you know, they're just going to track everyone as best we can with all these cameras we have out here. 
through face and facial recognition, right? And this is part of um, the concern with the use of body cameras, right? Because mm-hmm. there's been discussions about using facial recognition in conjunction with body cameras. Mm-hmm. This is something I talked about at the beginning of 2015, right after there was the announcement for federal funds for the, for the use of body cameras. And I pointed out, like, you know, this may start out as a tool for police accountability, but it could easily become a tool of mass surveillance. And this is what facial yeah. recognition will do, is make it a tool of mass surveillance. So it'll just sit there, go around as offices, walk around, you know, identifying every single person that the camera sees. Now it'll just go into a database run by uh, some company, and it'll all be part of a mass surveillance network. Um, and that's really doesn't uh, jive very well in a democracy. Right. Okay, so let's let's talk some practical aspects of this. Is there, as a citizen, if, I, if this bothers me, if this is something I'd kind of want to see if I can opt out of, is there is there anything we can individually do to avoid or foil uh, facial recognition technology uh, as we're going about our lives? If we think we're going to go to the you know the mall or we're going to go to protest maybe, or I need to go to an abortion clinic or or whatever, and I, I just I don't want to be tracked. Do you, do you know of any, are there any practical ways to, to, I guess, disguise yourself or throw off these cameras? No, it's not. I mean, there are things you need to do. A lot of them aren't the most practical though. Mm. I mean, but mainly you should try to be cognizant of its implementation, right? So you should understand that they're using it at your airport and you should understand that you have a right as a U.S. citizen to opt out of its use. And I would encourage you to opt out of its use um that is you know kind of a minor way to protest mm. the use of facial recognition technology and where it is being used and you can have the ability to opt out just like you can opt out on facebook for example you can tell them not to use your pictures for their facial recognition algorithm because you don't want to be automatically identified in mm-hmm. photos that people upload to the facebook you know, and there's things you can do, right? You know, as I mentioned before, you know, it uses landmarks, kind of measures the spaces between your ears and your eyes, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you can use a lot of times makeup in ways that will distort it, but it's mm. it's not your traditional kind of <laughs> right. uh, makeup that you face. It's not really a practical <laughs> right. uh, implementation. Obviously, covering your face works too, but again, for the most part, not particularly practical, right? right? And, in Hong Kong, you know, with the protests yeah. going on there, they were shining lasers at the yeah. camera. You yeah, know, that, that. that can work, but it's not very practical to carry out laser yeah, pointing right. at every camera you think might have facial right. recognition technology. So, you know, the, the kind of better, you know, long-term strategy is to make this an issue with your representatives at the local, state, and federal level. You know, let them know that this is an issue that's important to you. Yeah. Um, that needs to be addressed because it's it's really and a lot of times companies try to do this they try to put the onus on the individual to opt out of the kind of extremely privacy invasive technology that they're implementing you know whether it be online tracking you with cookies and other means all your information you have to kind of bend over backwards to try to stop that and as soon as one tool works you know the you know the companies figure out another way to track you and you have to do something else 
And we're, we're heading towards a similar situation here with facial recognition and other technologies that you're going to have to bend over backwards in order to avoid your, your face being used, your information being collected yeah. as you traverse in public. And it really is not the way to go. The least cost provider is the companies of the government. So there needs to be laws in place to protect us. It should be up to us as individuals to try to bend over backwards to avoid use of our face yeah yeah i've seen some really interesting things uh on the web uh that that purport to uh, uh foil these things there's one that was a, that's a hat uh baseball cap but in the in the brim facing forward are a bunch of uh, infrared led lights and a lot of ccd uh, cct uh, camera sensors are, are sensitive to infrared meaning that basically it can shine these bright infrared lights out in front of your face that no one else will see because the human eye doesn't pick it up. But the cameras, I guess it's kind of blinds the camera. The other one I thought was interesting was this lady wearing a dress that was, uh, I think it was, it was full of other faces. Like the print of the dress was a whole bunch of faces. Uh, you know, just crazy stuff like that. But yeah. Um, so, okay. Let's, so let's take the devil's advocate question because there are obvious good things we could do with this stuff. Let's, let's, let's say we get the, you know, this technology perfect or near perfect, you know, five nines, as we used to say in the, in the telephone business, you know, 99.99% or 99% accurate. Um, how does that change the debate? I mean, if we take out the fact that, that, that they misidentify people, does that, does that fundamentally change any of the arguments against this? It doesn't really. So even if it's close to being infallible, and I don't know if I ever get to that point, but assuming we did, it may take out, you know, some of the arguments, but it's not going to take them all out. So maybe now there's, there's, there's not the issue of misidentification for women and, and people of color, but there is still a similar issue there with the kind of disproportionate impact on people of color, for instance, because a lot of times these type of surveillance technology are disproportionately implemented and used on people of color in the places they live, right? So that has no, the, the um, increased accuracy has, has no bearing on that aspect of it. And obviously there's still an issue uh, with this technology, particularly if it's used in scale as a tool of mass surveillance, um, the issue of its impact on democracy and our constitutional rights mm -hmm. and the undermining of our um, freedom of speech, association, of religion, of expression. Um, that's still an issue because facial recognition technology used at scale for mass surveillance is incompatible, I would argue, with mm -hmm. a democracy because it does chill speech and it gives the government a tremendous amount of power yeah. that is hard to take away right right and which is why you know a lot of people have been calling for the ban of this technology we shouldn't be kind of uh running head first without considering the implications for this type of uh technology so the arguments a lot of the arguments will remain no no matter how accurate this technology gets and actually to a certain degree some of those arguments become even more important mm -hmm. the more accurate the technology gets because it will just become uh it will be seen a lot of times as a panacea um for curing you know what ails us with respect to societal problems if only we had facial recognition everywhere 
And that's a problem because, you know, a lot of times technology like this is a crutch, mm -hmm. I would argue, for bad policy. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning, you know, we, you know, as a society, we shouldn't be thriving for, you know, perfect facial recognition, being able to identify anyone and everyone at any point at any time. Yeah. Or to curb, you know, the, the ills of society, we should actually be going the other direction, looking, well, how, how do we, you know, address actually the root causes of mm. gun violence or the root causes of, you know, of crime or, you know, other issues that we might think about using facial recognition for, because that's what's going to create a better, vibrant democracy, not adding more and more technology that can surveil us at every point and juncture in our lives. Right. Yeah, and I've mentioned this before, too, with the classic panopticon uh, model where law enforcement can see – you have to assume the law enforcement can see everything you do, and that curve, that just naturally will affect your behavior. I mean, humans act differently when they feel they're being watched, and uh, I usually refer people to Glenn Greenwald's TED Talk on this, which is really good, um, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put a thing in the show notes uh, for that. So you mentioned, you know – pushing back on our local governments and whatever. And I, I know there's already been some success cases. I know in San Francisco and uh, somewhere in Massachusetts, um, a couple cities have already banned the use of Fisher technology. And I think some others are considering that too. Um, what else, what else as citizens can we do at the, at the local level or even at the federal level to kind of uh, push for this? Are there any, are there any bills that are currently in front of Congress that we should be specifically supporting? They are, if I recall, um, there's a lot of discussion on the use, you know, on some type of regulation and perhaps uh, suspension of its use by by the federal government, particularly DHS, um, and in the Congress, the there's been several hearings this year on the use of facial recognition technology, the use of, of it by the Department of Homeland Security, um, etc. So, I mean, I would definitely be paying attention because they will be. There will be bills that come out probably in the fall, maybe later, related to this because it's a very hot issue, hot topic right now. Yeah. Um, um, not just you know in the media and the stories you see, but with with Congress too. They they're paying attention to this, and there's likely to be something there. So, you know, as citizens, we should be paying attention too. And when those bills do come out, you know, we should uh, you know voice our our support if it's a good bill. I know. Uh, Bernie Sanders promised to actually ban the use of facial recognition technology, yeah. you know, at least the use by, by the federal federal government. And so there, it, it's, you know, becoming not just an issue, you know, that the media talks about, and not only now that Congress is talking about, but, you know, we have presidential candidates starting to talk about this issue, too. So, you know, it's a big one. <laughs> and I think it's important to keep it there. Because uh, it's a really important issue for us to to think about, to address, and not let uh, kind of these companies and government agencies that want to use facial recognition just kind of run wild without any guidance from Congress or without actually maybe taking a moment to stop and think about whether you know we know we can, but whether we should. Right. So uh, is Epic's position basically on this that that with the right to, the right to privacy trumps all and we should just not have this technology do, do we do you see envision ways you know, limited uses of this technology where it would it would still strike the right balance between uh, a person's right to privacy and maybe you know the government's role in protecting its citizens i mean right now we we, we think you know congress should suspend the use of facial recognition technology by the federal government 
Um, it's just for multiple reasons, it's just not ready uh, to to be implemented in such a large scale. There's still issues with the accuracy, et cetera. Obviously, there's a lot of implications for privacy and even security. Those type of things need to be dealt with. We need to really have a conversation and think about, you know, under what circumstances do we want to be able to use this technology, technology if at all, right? And that needs to happen before the government invests millions or billions of dollars in implementing, you know, a mass surveillance facial recognition uh, network here. Uh, so right now, I mean, we support the suspension of its use by, by the federal government. You know, there's, there's ways to implement it that are privacy protecting, particularly when you're, you know, for example, particularly when using it for identification, the way that Customs and Border Protection is, you might know that your passport actually has a little chip in it. Right? Mm-hmm. And on that chip is the kind of secure image that is the one you see in the passport photo that's on your passport. Right. And you or your listeners may have had the experience of when they came back into the country from a trip that they went up to a kiosk and had to slide your passport into mm-hmm. the kiosk. And then you had to stand there for a photo and then like a ticket printed out afterwards. Yeah, right. Confirm your ID. So that is kind of very privacy protective implementation because what was going on there is that the machine was able to read that secure encrypted uh, photo that's on the chip and then compare it to a real-time photo of you and confirm that that passport was actually a picture in it of you and that it was you who was at, at that um, kiosk at the time. They would print out a ticket confirming that, that you would give to the CBP officer. So there was no data collection mm-hmm. by the government. In addition, there was no massive database that could be breached that right. that needed to be connected to support this implementation, right? So depending on the implementation, there's ways to do it that are very privacy protective. It's it's similar to how Apple does its 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 Face ID. You know that all that information lives on the phone, right? They're they're they don't have access to that, and so you have control over it. You can decide to de- delete it. Uh, whenever you want, and not right. use the face ID feature. Uh, so where where there's possible to do that, uh, those implementations would be more protective of people's privacy. But when you start having to have large, massive databases controlled by the government, <laughs> yeah, I really gotta start thinking about you know is that what we want, you know, for the society? Yeah, so many things could go wrong, and I already have. All right. Well, this has really been interesting and, and very informative. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that, that 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 we haven't touched upon that you think would be good for our audience to know? Is there is there maybe a view into what's on the horizon or what's coming next that uh, that we haven't discussed yet that that might be interesting? Well, you know, I you know, in terms of what we're looking at in the future, like facial recognition is just like this really great example of the issues that are going to be forthcoming with the advancement of AI and machine learning algorithms, machine intelligence, where you're just going to be able to take information that seems kind of innocuous and use it in ways people didn't really think about, right? And so companies and governments have massive amounts of information. They're all working on, like, these advanced algorithms, you know, using AI, and they want to use that on the data in order to do things that, you know, people didn't even think about when the data was was handed over. And this is what 
facial recognition technology is showing us that this is going to be a problem, right? They're taking all these photos that we handed over to get passports and using it for to identify us via facial recognition. And similarly, they're going to be using algorithms to analyze data that they have about us to make decisions about us. And this happens to a certain degree already. It happens in the context a lot of times with uh, benefits for people. Um, you know, when you, you know, uh, apply for certain benefits, you know, with the government, sometimes those decisions are made by an algorithm that's looking at the data. Those things are going to get more sophisticated, and that's going to be a real problem if, you know, decisions are being made by algorithms and AI that have real impact on people, just like the decision of facial recognition technology to decide this is this particular person, which then can have a serious impact on you, particularly if you're not that person. <laughs> right. Yeah, in fact, and I've I've read some really kind of creepy articles lately about it, uh, this technology, the AI technology, going that next level and trying to judge your mood based on your face, right. and 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 you know it's a really uh, Facebook trying to do it, and and some and Instagram, and I heard, saw some other company that's touting its um, screening of job applicants, where they they have you look into a webcam and answer some questions, and somehow they try to judge by your face whether or not you're a good potential employee. Just creepy. Okay, well, that was really cool. And um, thanks for so much for coming on the show. And obviously, uh, you guys take donations. I would certainly recommend that folks look you guys up and, and send you guys some money. You're, fight, you're fighting the good fight, and we really appreciate what you're doing mm -hmm. out there. Uh, I also know that there's Fight for the Future. has got a banfacialrecognition.com site. Are there any other kind of places that, that people might want to go if they want to kind of throw, throw some money at this? Of course, I you know, recommend you know, Epic, as of you course, did. Yes. Epic.org, and you'll see on our homepage, donate uh, button. Also, you'll just see kind of as we update that front page every day of all the stuff uh, we're doing on the, uh, the privacy front. Uh, you know, we're partnering, partnering with Fight for the Future on the, on the facial recognition band. And, you know, there'll be probably, a, you know, a, a list I imagine if they have, don't already have one of organizations that kind of support Mm. Um, the ban and regulation of, of facial recognition technology. Uh, we we work with a lot of groups, probably more than I could uh, name at this moment. <laughs> but you you can find like some of our coalition work letters we've sent to Congress, and you'll see a whole list of organizations on those letters that that uh that um you know work on this issue. We actually did called for a suspension of facial recognition used by DHS with a coalition letter with 30, over 35 organizations on it um, earlier this year on, on early July uh, that that was sent to Congress right before they had a hearing on DHS's use of facial recognition calling for the suspension of it, of the agency's use of it. And so there's a lot of organizations that are interested and I think this is a real issue that needs to be addressed. So Absolutely. Know, Keep your eyes open, check our website. It'll probably lead you to other places to check too. But Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was very informative. I'm really glad to have had you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Big, big thanks again to Jeremy Scott for coming on the show. Uh, so glad again to have finally made some inroads with Epic. I hope we can have even more. Uh, interviews with some folks there doing they're like EFF and some other uh, great organizations they're really doing some fantastic work out there 
tirelessly working uh, on shoestring budgets for all of us and fighting for all of our rights. And so it, if nothing else, if, if you feel that, you know, you're interested in this topic or really any privacy related topic, uh, head on over to Epic, uh, epic.org, uh, find the big donate button and send those guys a little bit of something. If you, you know, if you don't find that you can, you know, you're not the kind to go out and protest yourself or go to the town halls yourself and quiz your representatives on these topics, you know, uh, give some money to, the, to some folks who are already doing it and doing a really good job at it. I will say that, uh, as Jeremy, I think, suggested that, that if this does bother you, and I think it should, obviously, then you <laughs> picked up, I'm sure, on the tone of, uh, uh, of the interview. And But if this does bother you, then pay attention to laws that are going to effect or that are being proposed, uh, ordinances, regulations in your town, in your city. Uh, a lot of this stuff is happening locally. Um, there has been some cities in the U.S. already that have banned the use of facial recognition technology by government and law enforcement agencies, you know, to put a moratorium on it so that we can kind of get a handle on it first and make sure we understand what, what the implications are and that we've thought about all the different ways that it might be abused or how it might chill democracy. It obviously does have good uses. Uh, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but we really need to think carefully about the implications of these things before we willy-nilly deploy it everywhere. Uh, and then it's kind of too late. Um, just, you know, if you haven't seen any of this news about China, uh, for example, it's gotten really bad there. I mean, you can't really go anywhere without being watched. There are many places in China now where to buy something, you just show them your face and they know who you are and they charge your account. That might seem convenient, but it should also seem really creepy. China has also been implementing these like social credit scores, which is kind of like a kind of like your financial credit score, except for like it judges you as a person. So from little things like if they if the television cameras catch you jaywalking across the street, <laughs> these kind of things, there's some computer somewhere who's tallying these things in China uh, and building up this social credit score. And people with that don't have a good enough score, if their score gets low enough, they're prevented from doing things like flying somewhere, like even within the country, um, their mobility is, is reduced. Uh, I would, uh, I don't want to lie. I don't want to make things up, but I, it, it affects your daily life in China. If you don't keep your score up, I'm not saying we're necessarily heading there, but I'm just saying that you need to think about all the different ways this could be abused. And, you know, authoritarian governments, um, will certainly abuse this. And it's just so, so easy to go over the line and, and think, you know, good intentions pave the way to hell, as they say, right? And, you know, trying to do good and end up doing bad. So anyway, okay, we, <laughs> we've beat this one to death. Uh, thanks again for listening. And again, thanks very much to Jeremy Scott for coming on the show. Uh, we've got uh, another great interview coming up soon. I talked to uh, Joshua Mata, who is the CEO of a cyber insurance company, a topic we have not really talked about in the show. And it's really quite interesting. I think uh, even for uh, cyber insurance could be bought by anybody, you, me, or it's also you think about it in terms of maybe corporations and businesses. And we'll talk about that as well. But it's a fact of modern day life that you know, things go wrong and sometimes they go horribly wrong. And, and just like we have health insurance for when medical problems crop up and things go horribly wrong there, there is now an industry for cyber insurance for things that go wrong on the, on the web or with your computers or with your identity theft, or there's a breach at your company or these kind of things. It's, it's a modern reality. And of course the insurance company has, has come to provide some assistance anyway. So we're going to talk about that and, uh, that's an interesting com interview coming up. So uh, next week, we'll probably do a new show. There'll be plenty to catch up on uh, at that point. And then after that, we'll go to the interview with Joshua Mata. 
one other group, uh, uh, before I forget, that you might look into if you want to kind of get involved or if you want to support some other people that are that are fighting this sort of thing is uh, Fight for the Future. Uh, if you search on them, you'll find their website. I'll try to also put it in the show notes. Uh, they've actually got a petition going right now um, against facial recognition uh, for public uses like this. So you might look into that as well. And I'll, if I could find that link, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay, that's going to wrap up our show. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, leave me a nice uh, review if you get a chance. I would very much appreciate that. Tell your friends and family. Spread the word. If you really like the, the podcast, maybe somebody else will too. And uh, that'll do it. Until next week, as always, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge stuff.